Welcome to the Leaders in Life Sciences podcast, powered by Interay Life Sciences Consulting. In this podcast, you'll hear from leaders in the life sciences industry, how they grew into their current roles, the lessons they learned along the way, and advice for those aspiring to follow in their footsteps. I am the host. My name is Mike Ferletic, and I'm the CEO of Interay Life Sciences Consulting. At Interay, we help leaders orchestrate the positive change they want to see in their organization. Are you ready to be recognized for your leadership success? Take a listen. Welcome, everybody, to the Leaders in Life Sciences podcast. It's great to be here. My name is Mike Verletic. I'm the CEO of Entere, and I'm excited to have our guest today. We'll talk about her in just a moment. But first, I want to introduce our co-host, Courtney Boudreau. How are you doing today, Courtney? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. And I see we have a third person on the line helping us co-host today. Can you introduce our extra guest? Yeah, this is Rishi Raval. He is one of our co-workers at Entere and is a wonderful consultant who has given up some of his day-to-day to to be here to chat with us. So hi, Rishi. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. How's it going, Rishi? Good to see you. Thank you. You too. Good. So what's been going on lately, Courtney? It's been a while since we've uh, been on the recording. Anything new? Yeah, nothing much. I think last time I was talking about pickleball and I I took my pickleball classes and they were really fun. So it's a new sport to learn and I still have to get my own paddle, but I can't wait to start playing pickleball with people in the neighborhood and friends and family. So yeah. Pickleball, that's great. (laughs) Yeah. How are you, Mike? What's, What's new with you? Not so fun stuff. We've had a, we have a little bit of a project going on at home. Not a planned project, which is why it's not so fun stuff. We had a little, a little bit of a minor, wouldn't call it a flood, but an overflow that uh, is leading to some excitement in the house. And so we're trying to treat it like a little vacation, but we just have a little bit of uh, some some work to be done in the house. But that's what's been going on. And we're, at the end of the day, it's it's all being taken care of. So we're thankful for that. And we're going to get a little nicer bathroom out of it. Let's just say that. So yeah, that's not, inten- awesome. not intentional, but you know, yeah. something that, you know, there's always some good things that come out of some, some troubling issues. So, so who's the interior decorator in your family? Not me, although I would love to love to think I am. So we're going to leave that to others. <laughs> so <laughs> alrighty. How about you, Rishi? What's going on with you? Not much. Been to a couple Suns games. We're doing well this year, so the games are more exciting. Our stadium's actually packed, which is always fun. You know, we don't do too well all the time. Yeah, so it's it's been it's been fun. Good outings. Nice. I remember. Still, I'll date myself here, but the Charles Barkley days. Charles Barkley days, early '90s. Yeah, <laughs> that's when I uh, was really following basketball a little bit more closely. I do remember they almost won the championship, right? Uh, yeah. Back then, they almost won it again recently, right? Yeah, lost to Jordan, as did everyone, and then lost last year, but still fun. <laughs> it's always a good time. Very true, very true. Well, it's great, and thank you both for being here. Looking forward to our conversation today. I'm going to go ahead and jump in and introduce our guest. Our guest today is Tommy Papson. Tommy is the president of Regulatory Consultants Group. She is an ex-FDA investigator, consumer safety officer, and member of the DHHS FDA International Cadre Investigations. After leaving the agency and having adventures of a lifetime and some experience with other firms, Tommy co-founded Regulatory Consulting Consultants Group along with other ex-FDA experts. The audits continued from cradle to grave to document review in the, in the steps of a serious but fun mock FDA audit to remember. Working closely with the DOJ, FBI, OCI, state and local government agencies, Officer Papson enjoyed the challenge of escalated FDA 483s of OAI firms, warning letters, seizures, recalls, civil and criminal money penalties. Her career spanned hundreds of investigative activities and inspections in bio-research monitoring, pharmaceutical, medical device, consumer complaints, whistleblowers, from routine assignments to unannounced for-cause inspections. I'm sure those are fun. Hopefully we'll hear about that. Violators were placed on the application integrity policy list. And in addition, the FDA public health concerns, illness, life and death reports, and adverse event inspections were part of her day-to-day activity as an investigator. Outside the office, Tommy is a painter, a sculptor. She enjoys photography, global travel, and volunteering with professional organizations. She brings her FDA experience together with current regulators to industry groups like the Pacific Regional Chapter of Society of Quality Assurance, 
as their president and as a past president of the Orange County Regulatory Affairs Group. Tommy lives by the following advice, that in the regulated world, if it isn't documented, doesn't exist. Let's welcome our guest, Tommy Papson. Welcome, Tommy. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. That introduction, boy, I can't wait to hear more about your background and experience. Uh, Sounds pretty exciting. Well, normally the whole thing isn't read or discussed. It's like, this is, you know, I used to be, my other name was, you know, when I worked for the FDA, I was known as Trudy Papson. So leaving and started kinding my own company, it was like, that name has a reputation. So I went with my grandmother's nickname. There you go. That's great. Interesting to hear. Interesting to hear. So tell us about that. How did you find your way to the FDA and then ultimately becoming an investigator? Radiation. Radiation. I was in the Air Force. Oh, I wanted awesome. to be a pilot. I was uh, When I passed all of my tests and everything, everybody said, oh, I went to Lackland Air Force Base to be a pilot. And after I got through several weeks of boot camp, I said, oh, when do I start my flight training? And they said, well, I'm sorry, you're too short to be a pilot. Oh, no. I said, well, I was the same height when I was recruited in Pittsburgh. And when I took all my tests, well, we're going to put you in something else. So instead of flying the planes, I got to watch them. I got to watch the radar and learn about radiation. And then after that, I got into the medical field and got into uh, medical radiation. And of course, that involves the medical world, involves medical devices pharmaceuticals, all of those wonderful things. Somebody came to me one day and said, you really write great SOPs. You ought to work for the government. I went, oh, that sounds interesting. So the government came to the hospital I was at and said, would you like to work with us? And I said, certainly. So I started out basically the state of California as an environmental health specialist writing procedures on what the state inspectors would look for at radiation facilities, San Onofre and hospitals and different areas such as that. And then that went from the state to the federal government. Wow, that's pretty elaborate. Sounds like a, a pretty interesting path. And, and actually, I had no idea that you were in the Air Force. So excited to hear a little bit about that. Now, based on that, though, so you've spent time in the military. You've spent time in public sector. You've spent time in private sector and now working with your, your own corporation. I'm curious from a leadership perspective, if you've heard or uh, experienced different things and different characteristics, different types of leaders that you can highlight the differences, you notice any key differences amongst those different environments? Absolutely. There's a difference in every one of the sectors that you mentioned at different levels, different strata and different silos, I like to call them. If you're in one environment, there's a silo of your, basically where your job is and then where the leaders come in and knock on the door of your silo and then might go away. There's certain areas that the leaders are right in there with you. And then there are other, uh, which we all kind of know that leaders sit at the top, but they don't know what goes on at the bottom. So as far as the leadership world that I have interacted with, I've interacted with Fortune 500 CEOs that asked me if I had an appointment and uh, which, you know, I probably didn't need one to people that just started, just started work and wanted to get into a career. And some of those people became actual became leaders, which was just always interesting to see somebody who's starting out, not just as a student, but as a, as a worker, where they seem to have that potential of leadership right in the beginning. And if they can get with somebody that's going to mentor them or have a path to get there, you can, you can almost feel that and see that. And that's, that's one of the thrilling things of being in the different areas I've been in to watch. So, Tommy, that's interesting stuff. And, and what's really intriguing to me is when you refer to some, let's call them newer employees or employees that are earlier in their career, and you can recognize some of those leadership characteristics in them so that you are drawn to mentoring them. What, what are some of those things that you see in, in some of that, some of those individuals that you really are attracted to? The passion for what it is they do versus wanting to go to work from eight to five. So if you, uh, you meet somebody that has that passion that wants to know about it, wants to understand it wants to find out everything they can about it versus the person that's there looking, you know, they're, they're there for a job. That's the person that, you know, you don't, I don't see them coming through the whole area of becoming into the leadership world. People seem to have a passion to want to do something. It doesn't matter what area they're in. It could be in, it can be in receiving. They have a passion to do what they do. They're going to move up in the receiving world. They have a passion to do something at the front area, receptionist. She can end up maybe as an administrative secretary doing everything she never never thought she would do other than just answer the phone. But she's got a passion for sitting there and doing what it is she really loves to do. 
and interacting with that that kind of mentality, I think that that is inbred in certain people is I have the desire to do something and I want to do it right. And, you know, with the government, it's you, you do it right or you don't do it at all kind of thing. Yeah. So when you see those kind of, and growing up, I, I kind of had that same feeling with people that I met and watched people grow and, and change. And usually it's the people that just it's it's a monotonous kind of life for them. That, that's not a leadership thing. It makes total sense. I love that. So, Tommy, I know you're passionate about, you said, nuclear medicine and then regulatory affairs. So could you tell us a little bit about what you've you've done after the FDA in terms of continuing with your passion with regulatory affairs? Sure. One of the things I did, I retired. I left the agency when there was a commissioner that said you're no longer, people were no longer volunteering. The investigators weren't volunteering to go to certain countries in the international cadre. So they came out and said, we're going to tell you now where you're going. Well, I'd been in the agency a long time. I'd been in, you know, the government a long time. And, and it was when we were told, I mean, there was, it wasn't specifically spelled out in your, in your contracts with the agency, but it was, you're going to be somewhere for three months where they hate your guts. They don't want you to come. You're going to stay there in that country for three months. Then you're going to move around from one company to another. And then you can come home for several weeks, write up your reports, get your information together, and then go back to a different place. When that three-month edict came out, I said, I think it's time to leave. So I uh, basically retired on a Friday, and I started my own company on a Monday with several, <laughs> people that, several other people that kind of did that same pipeline thing and went, whoops, we're, whoops, we don't want to go there. So we did that, and we started that. And I went from knocking on doors of companies saying, hey, hi, I'm here, to now being paid to go to a company. Now, I work for the government, so you know. Now I'm getting paid to go to companies to do what I did with the agency. It was like, come in and put my people through an inspection, make it real, make it, make them feel that need, they need to understand what the importance of our stock going downhill, our CEO having a penalty, everybody gets fired because they're the scapegoat. We want you to put our company through that. Can you do that? And I said, I love doing that. (laughs) You're going to pay me to do that. And I'm going to travel around the world. That's kind of what I did afterwards. So that's been the passion that I carried through it. It's just like, yeah, this is, it's still fun. It's still what I like to do. And I still get hired to just kind of drop in. Innocent little thing, and innocently coming in to knock on your door. <laughs> you had mentioned, you know, going places where people don't love that you're there. How do you stay resilient in the face of that, especially if it's thousands of people at a company and it's just you showing up? I guess I have this little part of me that says, you, if I know I'm sent there and I'm in there for a four-cause inspection, you hurt some innocent person. And if I can say to myself, I know that you know you've hurt some innocent person and your company is proceeding to do that, that's not right. And let's see what we can do to find out if you can correct it. If you know about it, then let's put it together so that you can fix it or the agency will fix it for you. So that's kind of the, the passion going in is you've got a problem, let's work together. And I, I basically go in as an educator, not a hammer, because I'm too short to be a hammer. But uh, the effect is I'm here and let's see what we can do. And that is probably, I guess the, the, the way that I carry that through is there could be a table with six lawyers across from me saying, I'm sorry, you're not permitted to talk to anybody. And that's okay. I, I They don't need to talk to me, but it's June and I don't have vacation till December. I don't know where you're going, but I'm going to be here. Let's so <laughs> all talk. And that's kind of, you know, the interesting part of, of working, working through and doing that now, the same thing. It's kind of let's, let's play. That's great. I've got a, a curious question. So you've gone to meet with people at, at companies as an FDA inspector, and you've gone to meet with people at companies as a external concert consultant preparing them to deal with FDA inspectors. I imagine you've seen the best of people and the worst of people, perhaps, in those experiences. Maybe they were either solid companies that had great compliance with regulations, or they maybe they had some issues, but that doesn't change necessarily how they act as leaders in the organizations. I'm curious if you've saw different sides of, di- of these companies or, you know, what's the, what were some of the leadership characteristics of those that were solid kind of corporate citizens versus not? One of them would be to meet with the FDA. Okay. One of them is, oh yeah, okay, you're here and we'll respect the fact that the agency wants to know about us. 
the leadership that doesn't ever want to see the FDA. And there's always a fall guy. There's usually somebody's the director of something or not another. That's the leadership that of a company that could be could be not as running or operating as as well and as safely as they could be. Interesting. Or should be. Should be, yeah. <laughs> the word is shall, I guess. How do you see leaders lead the people that they're serving, essentially, their employees in those situations as well? Do you do you see them assisting or is it, you know, some sometimes they, they turn and run a little because they're frightened for themselves? A really good leader on inspections and, and mock inspections, and I've been on around the world, want to be part of it. They want to know what the staff is doing. It's not that they've dispensed to everything is your responsibility. Please go off and do your job. You're paid to do your job. But I have had really fantastic people want to sit in and watch and see what it is, not just not to be not as as an observer, but as a participant in this is how I think our company should run. And these are the people that I believe I, I trust that are going to do that. And if it's okay with them, is it okay if I sit in? Absolutely. That's a really good, a good leader is willing to sit in and go through and watch what the other, what the staff is doing, not just walk in, sign a, sign a document and said, yeah, we know you're here. And then at the closing of the inspection, they're there. That's usually the leader that is going to receive a 483 at the end of the inspection because they've not wanted to participate in what has been going on. That's really a, just an indication for me right out of the get-go. I shouldn't say it like that, should I? Yeah, that is that's, that's how it works. That's a great perspective. I think just, yeah, wanting to be a part of it, knowing what's going on, right? I think that's kind of what you described. The person that's just signing the document maybe either doesn't know or doesn't want to know what's happening, what it sounds like. Many times the person doesn't, the person that is at the top of the organizational chart Whenever an agency inspection happens, that person, that's one of the first things an investigator asks is, for the copy of the organizational chart? We're going to talk to this person down here, but I'm going to want to meet with this person, this person, and the top person. Because if there's an escalated action, that leader is the person that's going to answer to the Department of Justice, the FBI, the Office of Criminal Investigation. It's not going to be the regulatory person. It's not going to be the, the directors, managers. It's not going to be the vice president. It's going to be the leaders that are running a company that could be manufacturing, could be distributing, could be doing something that they could be doing better. And, and a good leader is in there to say, you know what? We're ready to do that better. We understand. We want to do that better. That's a great leader. They're willing to say, you know, I think you found something and we're going to address that. We're going to address that before you leave today. That's, you know, leadership can step up and say, we see this. We'll take care of it. That's a great example on it. Curious your additional insights into that when uh, I've worked with some various clients and supported some inspections. And one of the, the objectives was always, hey, if we can address this wall, our inspectors are here, let's get it, let's turn it around and let's let's see if we can present it to them. They were always eager to do that. That's a bonus. That's a bonus. So yeah, I was going to ask, you like to see that or did you? If you're, doing, if you're out there doing consulting and you're working with a company and you know, one of the good pieces of advice I have is you really want to offer the FDA everything that you can do and say right there while that investigator's there. Because you got to remember, they only have a snapshot of time and they're taking that snapshot and they're taking that back. And that's your, that's your history for many, many years until somebody else comes back. So if you're able to interact with them, and have management, your leadership is sitting there saying, you know what, here, we're going to talk about this by tomorrow morning. You want to come back? We're going to address this tonight. Everybody's going to work over. And they really mean that. A good leader will say, what can we do? What is it you need? What is?" And I say, I can't act as a consultant. You can pay them. They can tell you what to do. Or just ask your staff what, what they would recommend. And I'll be back in the morning. And then the, a good leader says, let's get pizza. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of pizza. A lot of pizza. <laughs> Very good. Tommy, can you talk, you kind of mentioned this earlier. Can you talk about, you know, the differences in how you were received coming in as an FDA investigator compared to as a paid consultant to come do these mock audits? Well, when I'm, there's certain companies that pay me to come in anonymously and, pre, you know, just it's basically I'm knocking on the door and saying, hi, I'm here with an agency. And, you know, I'm basically sometimes told you have an appointment don't need one. That mock inspection to put somebody through that that intense feeling of what, and as a consultant, that's the fun, really good thing to do is if you want to have a mock inspection, you're, from your receptionist down to the CEO, they're involved. And that involvement is going to put them through, and I'm pretty much going to put them through getting 
all the way through with the walkthrough, with the documents, entire thing that I would do, a small capsule of what an agency and investigators looking at. And I'm able to walk in there and say, I'm here to do this and I want your cooperation. And I'd like your cooperation because, you know, I don't want to say your company's paying me a lot of money to do this, but the end result of doing a paid consultant job versus going into an agency inspection needs to be the same thing for me. And I hope it is for most consultants. You you want to do what you can for that company that you're walking out. You want to know when you walk out, you've done what you can that day in that area that you've been in because you don't want to go home and watch on the news tomorrow that all of a sudden there was a recall or there was a problem or something that an area that you looked at and you just were in a hurry, you got out, you did it. That's That's not something I could ever have lived with. That's really interesting that it seems like common theme that you touch on is to have buy-in from top to bottom that creates the best sort of client from either you coming in as an FDA investigator or from a consulting capacity. That is exactly right. Yeah. And it's all in the name of patient safety. Uh, That's the intention and that's what carries through. It's not done just to spite some sort of company. It's these products are going into people, whether it's a device or a, a drug, and the safety is, is the reason that they're there. And so having companies who are compliant probably cared very much so about safety as opposed otherwise, because unfortunately, there, there is a spectrum of that <laughs> in the industry. Courtney, you hit that right on the head. You know, if you think about somebody who who is doing the same thing every day, every day, every day, they're writing SOPs, they're doing submissions, or they're, or they're manufacturing, they're losing sight of what sometimes they lose sight of this widget is going to go into somebody or this sterile device that's going to go maybe not have a good seal is going to go into somebody. And somebody who's routinely doing the routine things over and over and over, good management, good leaders are going to walk in and say, everybody, hey, what are we doing? Let's, is there anything else we can do? Is there anything else we need? Good leaders are right in there. They're walking the floor. I've had companies where they said they've never seen their bosses. It's like, what? Yeah, well, that, that shows later. Not that I would say that's intentional. But that does show. It'll show up. Right. Very interesting. It sounds like whether you are going in as an investigator from the FDA or as a mock audit leader, it sounds like you encounter people who can demonstrate their leadership at all levels of the organization, from the receptionist to the the site head or the CEO. And everybody in that whole list of people that you would encounter have the chance to demonstrate their own leadership. Is that would you agree with that? That's the way it should be. It should be that way on every every inspection, every audit, every consultation, everything that you go through with 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 an interaction with another company, another person, another the way they're doing something. And by the time you're all done with the FDA, you're doing what's something that's called it's it's in the investigation operations manual. You'll do a closeout every day. You'll sit down at the end of the day every day, and you will give the last thirty minutes or so a sandwich of here's what I saw today. Here's an observation that I have, or here's an idea that I have. Tomorrow, am I going to have a discussion about this area and this problem or this concern? I'm going to have more questions, and I'll be back to discuss that. As a consultant, I would be doing the very same thing as I'm here. I see this. I'd like to expand a little bit on that. Can you get somebody in to talk to me tomorrow? And they'll have overnight. Let's talk. You guys all talk about it because here's an area I'm going to focus on tomorrow. And I want everybody from on the org chart that I have and everybody's signature that I see has signed a training document. I'm going to ask to interview them tomorrow. And I do that. I pull out names of people you that they don't know where they I got their names. But that's that's one of the little things you do is this person might be really fatigued at what they're doing. So let's bring them in and see. Let's give them a chance to talk about what it is they do and let them talk about that in front of in front of a representative of their department, in front of somebody who's a consultant acting as an agent that could help them later or really hurt them later. So this is, you know, the learning experience is when I walk out of there, I want everybody that I interacted with to know that the leader knows what it is you do and they're going to appreciate what you do because After I'm done with them, they're going to be happy that you work. That's great. I love that. Hey, Courtney, a lot of our clients we work with have great ideas on how to improve their business, but they just run into challenges that seem to get in the way of accomplishing their goals. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, of course. It happens all the time. I've seen clients struggle with a lack of visibility into all the work that's happening within their organization. I've seen clients that are focused on manual tasks, which takes away from focusing on the actual project work. And I've seen leadership struggle to make decisions due to lack of timely information. That's so true. It seems like just knowing the problems to fix is only half the battle. How'd you help your clients address those challenges? 
Well, we, of course, first work with our client to design a structured management process that fits their culture and team. And in a lot of situations, we bring in tools like Smartsheet to help the entire project team be more efficient. With the help of Smartsheet, we were able to create dashboards, automate routine tasks, and have information ready in real time to help support leadership's decision-making. Wow, it sounds like you not only execute on the project, but your work helps everyone get more done with less work. I hope so. Smartsheet is a powerful tool, and my clients seem to be really happy with it. That's great. Now, if somebody needs help on their project, what should they do? They should check out nra.com and schedule a call with us to see how we can help. Sounds like a great idea. Well, thank you. We've talked about these situations where you show up on the doorstep, you're well-received, people participate or not. What's one of the biggest challenges that you've faced throughout the duration of your career? We only have an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just some examples. The the type of things you mean? Yeah, yeah. Type. Yeah, we don't need to name anybody if you don't want. But (laughs) they've been on the news. It's okay. Oh, cool. Let's do it. Well, I guess the biggest one one of the biggest problems is knowing that I'm going in a four cause inspection where there's been a death or a hazard or somebody's had surgery and, or many people have had surgery. And if you're familiar with what's called a med watch report or a med sun report, companies, doctors, nurses get to tell the agency something's wrong. And so if you're going through uh, the country and the agency, just this hub, and they're getting a report from Florida, Michigan, California, Hawaii, England, Germany, that there's been a problem. There's an investigator singling that out and they're putting that together in a package and they're going to knock on the door and want to see kind of what's what's been going on. So when you're sent into someplace like that, you're basically going in, you're not telling why you're there, but you're there to do something that the agency has sent you to do. And the, the biggest challenge I had was a company that, that we knew there were things going on. The Department of Justice had a flare up a, a question about them. And I was sent in, went in with a team of two other people. And we spent normally a, a good investigation, a good inspection of a good company is about three days, maybe four. And if there's a lot of information, if they're doing a lot of maybe class three devices, you might be there a week. If it's a class one or two, you might be there three to four days. So this company was doing things and we knew they were doing it. They had a lot of complaints, but they failed to, they failed to the agency about the complaints. They failed to tell them about the adverse events. So basically my job was to go in and find out that they knew that and they didn't want me at the door and told me I didn't have an appointment and asked me to come back. And basically, you know, you, you go back, but you're bringing a United States Marshal with you and it doesn't look good for everybody. And, you know, you go into the lobby and you tell everybody you might as well go home for the day. So you don't, you don't really want to do that. So you want to try to, you know, get into the door issue what's called the 42, which is Congress says you have the authority, you have the, you've taken the, an oath, you've sworn to go in and treat them fairly, usually treat them fairly, and then proceed in to do what it is you need to do to find what the whole thing is to find evidence. An agency representative going in is to find evidence for prosecution. Like you mentioned, sometimes you're not received well. Well, if you're going to a company where you're sent and there's a four cause, somebody's been hurt, and the whole job of an investigator is to find out why did you know about it, when did you know about it, and how many other people have been or could be affected tomorrow, the next day, the next day. So a company that met with me decided that the employees weren't going to talk to me. And I basically spent three months at their house. Everybody accused me of having a trailer in the parking lot. I didn't have a trailer. I just drove down every day. It ended up in the paper that after an FDA audit, 85 people lost their jobs and a company went out of business. Now, that was not the FDA's fault. The FDA found that there were children having their thyroids removed because this company's analyzers weren't accurate. Their assays weren't accurate. They were cheating on little lines that they were making. And we spent some time to find out who knew that, how much they knew it, and how long they knew it. And that became a criminal prosecution. That was one of the largest settlements in the history of the agency. But it was a time-consuming thing, and they didn't want me there. So they presented every day. Then the president got a lawyer. I would talk to the lawyer, not the president. The director of regulatory would not be there. His lawyer would be there. So I was talking to the lawyers, asking them questions about questions about things, about the lab journals, about specific dates, specific gravity of this. And the lawyers were looking at me like, we just can't do this. We're getting paid to sit here to have you ask us these questions. We have no idea what you're talking about. And I said, I, really? I'm not going anywhere. This is it. I'm here. Either I talk to them 
or you ask, you can keep asking the questions. It doesn't matter to me. And you know, the green journals, have you ever seen an FDA inspector with a green journal? That's a legal document. That's your, that's your diary. So you take your little green journal, you open it and you sit back and you, you take notes and you write your notes. And then when you close that journal, it's like, I'm really done talking to you and please get me somebody else that'll really respond because we really, really want to wrap this up this year. And that's probably one of the most challenges was just face-to-face with lawyers because the leaders felt a penalty was coming and a penalty did hit them. So the Fifth Amendment protects your right to prevent self-incrimination. That probably does not apply in this situation, correct? Correct. So, okay. There's criminal activity. There was, you're selling something you know is a problem. If it crosses a state line, it becomes federal, right? Interstate, interstate. And then when it, if you say you send something in the mail, then you've involved another agency. That's how all these fines build up. And then in, in one of the cases, there was a whistleblower that we met at Denny's. And we met several times at Denny's. And this is an employee who was basically, they tried to let this employee go because he was unhappy with something that was happening. And he was charged with being a disgruntled employee and was put into a position he was of no leadership authority. He now is, he was kind of bumped down. He was put aside and he kept saying, you, you got to do something. I'm, I can't watch this. You have to, you have to do something. So he finally told the FDA and the FDA did something. And he got a very big million, million dollar settlement out of that case because he was a whistleblower who knew facts about a company that had pr- continued to do things that were not safe and public health had been affected. And that's the whole mission of the agency. If you know about it, and if we find out about it, then that's where the bad guys are. And there's a very small percentage of bad guys. And it was a profit thing. They were making a lot of money. Big company, making a lot of money. I can't name them, but it's in the press. So that is, that's the most challenging kind of thing is to know that you know that something's wrong and find, to find the evidence to prosecute them. It's kind of like, you know, the police, they have to follow you, follow you, follow till your taillight goes out. And Oh my God, my taillight's been out. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Nice. I think that's a really uh, interesting concept and in, in just kind of the thought process. Like we hear a lot about, oh, this person could go to jail. You actually have seen that. And, you know, I think I've been fortunate in my career and working with various companies that the people that I've worked with have been very, very concerned about that, not from their own safety or, you know, freedom for per se, but because they do care so much about patient safety and patient health. But you got to experience the good and the bad, it sounds like. How frequent were those instances? Like how often did you find those companies that, yeah, you had to really, you had to stay three months and that took away from your ability to to really expand the reach of the agency and, and make sure the broader industry is doing well? Well, as a bonus, I got to train people. I got to let them shadow me. As one of the bonuses of what I did, I senior people would be able to follow and, and see what what are the techniques that we have? What is How is it we get people to really go up to a chalkboard and write down where this thing's short-circuited? What? Oh, you can draw that on the chalkboard for me? Sure, that'd be good. You see the camera comes out with the investigator and the, invest- and the company says, I'm sorry, you can't take pictures. Really? Okay, you don't want me to take pictures? Then they call the lawyer. There's a whole long series of things that happen you know, with, with the good things and the bad things. And when, when you have the good things happening, it's a really exciting bonus. You get to you get to enjoy that. And you get to work with really, really, most of the people that I have worked with in the FDA and in the state of California really enjoy what they do. Not because you're finding a criminal offense, because you're out there to say, you know, I have seen a hundred thousand things almost like yours. And I bet you, I can give you an idea. I can walk in here in three hours and kind of give you a tip on where it is I'm going to be tomorrow. So let's not, you know, let's, let's just talk about where I think it is. We, we may have a common ground where we may have a discussion where your, your management really would like to talk to us, or if they don't want to talk to us, that's okay because we'll be talking later. So that's the good thing is you get into a good company and they're there. Let's do a walkthrough. And one of the techniques I did is generally when maybe as a consultant, you've seen this, if you do an audit, the company walks you in, they set you down in a conference room, have give you coffee, and then they'll show you the slides of their company. And I never did that. I walked in and I walked right onto the floor, open the doors, let me in, not in the lobby, not in your conference room. I'm going to walk in there and right into the back and see what's going on. That's the fun part of it. And when it's a good company, they're going, yeah, over here. 
the other company is like, I'm sorry, we're doing manufacturing now. You still want to manufacture? Then I need to go in there. <laughs> You're taking all the great work that us consultants did in pre- preparing slides and you know making it less useful. Like you just. Oh, I can tell you how to do it as it's as a happy thing. You don't do it initially. That's right. Yeah. You have discussion. Donuts, chocolate. You know, they used to buy me chocolate donuts all the time. There was this rumor out there that, that Investigator Papson really liked chocolate donuts. So I'd go to a firm, there'd be chocolate donuts. You know, the next day there'd be chocolate donuts. They have like profiles on the investigators. <laughs> <laughs> Courtney, how many slide decks do we prepare? I mean, come on. <laughs> I would say not too many. Well, it's okay. Only when they're necessary. You do. You can do a slide deck. As long as it's not impeding something. If you're doing, oh, it, of course. You know, a lot of the slide decks are. Let's look at our. We have three thousand square feet, and I'm looking at everything, everything of a thirty thousand foot level, and it's an hour and a half later, and I'm just bored to death. <laughs> and that's the way I am with classes. It's like, oh, another slideshow. It's like, oh, we emphasize adding value here. And yeah, that's good. All right, that's good news. I'm gonna have to sit and watch one of your slideshows and just go. <laughs> <laughs> At some point during that day, you'll want to see the overview. So we, we, know, yeah. it'll be, we know it'll be used. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's great. So Tommy, has there ever been a case, so you're describing the situations where like lawyers come in and then, you know, there's roadblocks. Has a company ever won against you? No. That's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> no, when I issue a 483, which is the list of observations based on the Food, Drug, and Safety Act, Code of Federal Regulations, Sections 800 to 1200, I know the law. I mean, it's just in my head. And it's and if I am at a firm and I give you an, an ultimatum, I'm going to say, this is what I see. And if you can fix this and tell me it's okay, then you will not get this little observation. An observation is starts out and it's a canned thing that the agency has. All the regulations have this little canned thing. And then there's the next sentence where the investigator comes in and says, specifically, you did this at this time, at this day with this person. Boom. That's the that's the specifically of uh, pointing it out what, what's happened. And that's what the investigator has to do. Yeah. You touched on this a little bit as well, but... And I know in our our personal conversations, you've said that one of your favorite things is when people go to jail. So I'm wondering if there is a favorite story you have of, you know, I I know you mentioned the one about thyroid device, but is there there another story about somebody being convicted? I know you've posted some things recently in the Ochre page. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, there's uh, there's been some clinical researchers that there's a thing called the application integrity policy. That's I caught you committing fraud. Fraud against the federal government is a real serious thing. So if you, you know, there's doctors that have had jail cases, their sentences get reduced sometimes, but they've been prosecuted and they can no longer work on any clinical trials. They can no longer work in a pharmacy or medical device company. They can no longer provide anything that has to do with that's that's uh, regulated by the FDA or the agency. And bear in mind that the FDA, 25 cents on every dollar, Department of Health and Human Services touches somehow. Food, drugs, cosmetics, everything in the world is, is Department of Health and Human Services, which is the umbrella over the FDA. So it's like everything gets touched by the FDA. So there you are. You don't want to just keep doing that. So application integrity policy is doctors have been serious. They've seriously hurt somebody. And an investigator's job is to find something that you can take to a jury. Pretty much, you want to take the evidence that a jury's going to understand. This is a lot of technical stuff, and they've done all this research, and they've done they've done all these fun things, and they've made a lot of money, and they, they have a lot of fun times. But here in the end is their signature when they knew somebody died. Here's their signature on a training manual. Here's their slideshow where they talked about, oh, there's only one death. Oh, well, maybe there were two deaths. And if there are more, then we may report those to the agency. But we think it might be the hospital. It might be the doctor. Investigator's job is to find out and go and find the evidence, which is the evidence is just, it's given to a judge. First, it's given to the Office of Criminal Investigation, who's right here in San Clemente. And I used to spend lots of time down there with them at lunch. The Office of Criminal Investigation looks at it, and then they take it to prosecution, legal counsel. So in that instance, that's the important part of somebody getting prosecuted. It's not because I like to see them go to jail. I like to see them pay the penalty for harming people. And the fact that a doctor can't ever work again, I think that's probably better than going to jail. That would be very devastating. I, I agree. I agree. Let's take a, another look at it. And I, I want to ask the question, you know, of all the companies you've 
walked into either uninvited or invited, you've probably seen some really good things too. What would you say to those listening who, you know, are going to encounter inspections or they're going to just want to do their job well from a regulatory compliance standpoint? What are some of the basic like rules rules the of the road, rules of the trade that you would tell anybody, hey, if you follow these rules, you're going to be in pretty darn good shape. One of the crucial things for leadership to understand is that I talked earlier about the silo. You have regulatory people, you have manage, manufacturing people. A really good program is everybody knows what everybody else is doing. You don't want marketing to run the department, to run the, the company. You don't want regulatory to run the company and be just all, always just go by the book. You want every department should be able to sit down and have time together. Just an absolute, everybody needs to know what everybody else does. And that's very difficult in a, in a company, small or large, to get somebody to understand why it is you want to sit there and read code books and why it is you want to know about, about these things versus why somebody in marketing wants to talk about something being the greatest, the best, and, and it'll treat this and it'll do this, but it's not really quite accurate. And they don't understand why that regulatory person sitting over here is saying, you can't really say that because that's not true. And if we say it's treat something, we have to have clinical studies that says that. So for good management in a a company that really works well, everybody knows what everybody else is doing. You see the posters together. Everybody's kind of interacting together. And I mentioned pizza. A lot of times there's pizza parties after I leave. It's like everybody's getting together to celebrate. Whether they got a 483 or not, it's like they're together. That's what a really a really good leadership program and management of companies is. Everybody knows a little bit about what everybody else does. But if they're siloed, then everybody is kind of, they're doing their specialty, not understanding. Marketing has to know when they're selling this product that regulatory is saying, no, 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 you we don't do that. This doesn't do that. And manufacturing is saying, I'm doing this with this new, I changed, I changed this product and I'm doing this and this will be faster and speedier. And wait a minute, design control over here wasn't told. So that's where it, getting everybody together, a really good company and really good consultants will say, let's everybody get together, every department head, do a walkthrough all together. And that's one of the things I really like to do when I'm doing a mock audit is I like the CEO with me and I like every department manager not in their suits and ties, just put on some, we're going to come together one day and just going to walk through. And we're going to do walk through just as another employee. You're going to see if I watch them, see if they talk to people, see if people talk to them. So getting everybody, it's like, you need to know your employees and the employees need to know you. They need to know that you care about them and you're there for them. That's great advice. Very good. So on your next consultation, a consulting job, that's one of the things I, I would like to hear that this company does. That's right. Get to know people. Get to know people. People drive results. (laughs) There you go. Dropping the slogan. (laughs) People drive results. That's good. That's social media stuff. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Well, we're we're pretty close to wrapping things up here. Pizza. Pizza time for pizza. I heard the doorbell. Pizza's coming. You know, we'll have to make like four different trips here in our virtual uh, or in virtual world. Well, we did that one time at our board meeting. We we were meeting virtually and we just, we had Grubhub. Everybody got dinner at six o'clock. Nice. (laughs) I think that's the beauty of these uh, services. Yeah. Everybody can still have dinner together. We're trying to come out next week and be a real board and meet in person. Is that next week? Next Wednesday, six o'clock, 2400 Veronica. Be there, be square. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's right around the corner, Mike, from a... Uh, it sounds really close to us, yeah. <laughs> where, where are you? Uh, we're right in, in the Irvine Spectrum. Okay, well, this is up at the district, right at Jamboree and Barranca. Okay, nice, yeah. Right across from AMC Theater. Oh, cool. That's an okra event? It's the board meeting event. The board meeting, oh, not everybody's welcome. No, I'm hearing I'm hearing that somebody else is going to have an event soon that they're going to give me information on. Yes, yeah. So we're Mike. We're doing an organizing chaos webinar with Oprah in April. So awesome. Yeah, Tommy and I have been working on that and coordinating that, and we have to fill out some paperwork. But yeah, it's just one page. It's really easy. I'll help you. <laughs> if, you didn't, if you don't write it down, Courtney, it didn't happen. Oh, see there. I've le- oh, good. I can leave now. That's right. <laughs> Peace. 
That was awesome. Tommy, I, I want to say thank you so much for being here and talking to us. Your, your stories are fascinating. I think we could probably keep talking for a lot longer, but in the interest of time, we're going to move on to our little game that Courtney has prepared. Dude. Afterwards, we're going, to, we're going to capture some key takeaways from your thoughts too. But uh, first, we'll do this game. Have a little fun. What do you think, Courtney? Yeah, it should be fun. So what we're going to do is like we do in some of our previous episodes, it's just rapid fire questions, Tommy. So I'm going to ask you a series of 10-ish, 12-ish questions. And as quickly as you can answer is what we're looking for. First thing off the top of your head, and then I'll ask Rishi and then Mike. So let me know when you're ready. I guess I'm ready. Okay. (laughs) Alrighty. Do you like cats or dogs better? Cats. Do you have a secret dish that you can cook? Tuna noodle casserole. What motivates you the most? Flowers. What is your favorite work memory? New boots. <laughs> What's your favorite season? Fall. What word do you have a hard time pronouncing? And I disestablishmentarianism. What has been your favorite age so far? 19. Would you rather fly or have super strength? Super strength. Do you own your own Netflix account or do you use somebody else's? My own. Ooh. What is your go-to karaoke song? You ain't nothing but a hound dog. <laughs> and our last one, what is the last thing you searched on Google? Your company. <laughs> I was going to say Tommy Papson. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Tuna noodle casserole, huh? It's the only thing I can cook. <laughs> I have so many more questions. We have a whole other podcast to go through now that you answered those questions. Do we get the same questions, Courtney, or are they different? Oh, they're different. That'd be cheating. I was preparing answers in my own head. And if we've learned anything today, reading is back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, in the interest of that, Rishi, you're up next with new questions. Are you ready? Sure. Let's go for it. What was your last impulse buy? Phone. Which celebrity annoys you the most? All of them. <laughs> what mythical creature would you believe was real? Zeus. <laughs> okay. What's your favorite pun? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. What is humanity's worst quality? (laughs) Importance on materialistic things. Okay. Where do you live? Phoenix, Arizona. Who is your favorite boss? Mike Philetic. (laughs) There was one right answer there. (laughs) What's your favorite holiday? Christmas. And would you travel to the past or the future? Past. Okay. The end. Good job. So Rishi, uh why did the mushroom walk into the bar? I don't know. Why did he walk into the bar? He was a fun guy. <laughs> you know what's funny is I really love puns, but I couldn't think of any on the spot. Like I follow a bunch of pun accounts on Instagram, and I just couldn't think of any on the spot. <laughs> I know. Sitting here observing, we have a lot of time to think, so we fill, fill in the gap. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Courtney, I'm ready for you. Okay. Are you sure? Yep. All right. What's your favorite number and why? Eight. It's my birthday. What is your favorite cake flavor? White cake. What subject were you best at in school? Really math. What scares you the most? Oh my goodness. What scares me the most? Do you like spiders or heights? Oh, there's a lot of things. Boy, probably like bugs inside. Okay. Like bugs outside are fine, but bugs inside, yeah. Cats or dogs? Dogs, 100%. Sorry, sorry, dogs. <laughs> no, I have both. It's fine. <laughs> I have both. <laughs> What's your hobby? My hobby? Well, right now, we I've learned to sail. So sailing is a hobby. Wow. My wife and uh-huh. I, I should say, have learned to sail, not just me. What is your favorite beverage? Red wine. Okay. And then one more. If you had to be a Disney character, who would you be? Oh my goodness. My favorite character, having two kids kind of growing up, not not quite grown up, but growing up. I think Tigger is the guy just because he's always happy, always having fun. Yeah. Good answer. Winnie the Pooh. Great. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, that's all I have in terms of the game. So thank you all for playing. I think one of these days, Mike, we need to flip the tables here. I know. I was just thinking that. (laughs) <laughs> I was thinking that, and then we're going to get to uh, ask you some questions one of these days. That was awesome. I, I actually really enjoyed learning about our guest. I could do that. I could do that right off the cuff. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that would scare me, Tommy. <laughs> 
I really enjoyed the, the game, Courtney. That was great learning about Tommy and uh, learning about Rishi and uh, getting to participate as well. Okay, let's move on to some key takeaways. As I mentioned, just great, uh, great conversation, Tommy. Thank you. What did you uh, take away from this, uh, Courtney? What can you share with us? I, I really think that leadership, being able to stand by the people that they lead throughout these difficult times, you know, for instance, such as an FDA investigation is really critical to be a good leader from from Tommy's experience and what she said. So I think that that's such an excellent takeaway and, and leadership characteristic is just being able to stick by your people, educate and support them and, you know, not not lead them to their own devices or play the blame game. So I think that that information has been excellent to hear. Awesome. What do you think, Rishi? Well, Courtney took my first one, so I'll skip that one. That was my initial answer. <laughs> but another one I had was you mentioned that good leaders often start off as either students or workers before they become a leader of a large organization or a large group of people, which I thought that was really interesting. And it leads me to believe that they're able to have that same mindset as the rest of the people in their company. And it ties into what Courtney just mentioned. So I would say that that's my second biggest takeaway. Great. That's awesome. I think there were a lot of takeaways. A couple, since I'm going last year, I'm going to mention, I think, two. But one that really stuck with me, Tommy, was when you mentioned, as Rishi was mentioning, like some of these people that are that are new to the workforce or growing in their career. And as a leader, having the willingness to reach out and mentor individuals, that's what helps those individuals grow in their career and become great leaders. I, I think that was just really insightful. It's a simple thing that it's it's leading others in a way that may or may not get noticed visibly, but is something that helps grow people in your organization, whether they stay there or they move on to other bigger, better things. The other thing that I wanted to mention, actually, I think Rishi, you kind of confirmed this from Tommy, is that buy-in, that top to bottom buy-in, like leaders really look to get that buy-in in their organization. And Getting that buy-in, making sure people are on board and on the same page may not always agree, but they get buy-in and, and people know why they made decisions the way they make it. I think that was a great insight as well. Thank you so much, Tommy. We really appreciate you being a part of this and for hanging on for our uh, extracurriculars here as well. I love the game. Yeah. See, I mean, we have a little fun here while we're at it. So uh, this was awesome. Thanks so much. Again, Tommy Papson our guest today on the Leaders in Life Sciences podcast. We'll look forward to talking to you next time. All right. Take care, everybody. All right. Let's wrap this up. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe. That really helps us out. And also leave us a five-star rating. That's a big help too. If you'd like, please feel free to share your thoughts in the comments as well. Thank you for listening and hope to see you next time on the Leaders in Life Sciences podcast, powered by NTRA Life Sciences Consulting, where people drive results. Take care.